You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series called The Power of Prayer. So we're going to continue to worship God uh, through the study of his word. So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, I want to give a big shout out to all the people watching online or listening. Man, we miss you. We love you. Especially because we have out of town uh, guests tonight in the house, special friends of ours, the Holden family. So, uh, man, we're blessed to have you guys here, study the word together and worship. And, you know, we have been in a season of prayer and fasting um, where we've been taking a, a long time. Don't think you have to be a hero like we're fasting for 20. I had, I had a great meal today. It was awesome. Okay? You don't have to fast all 21 days. This is a season of opportunity where we're coming together where you skip meal, food, to seek God and his presence. And this is something normal and good for us as a church as we do this once a month, every first Thursday of the month, and we're doing it with other people. And there's strength in community, just like how you're coming in here to worship God and he wants to meet with you individually. But there is a strength when we come in because two or more are gathered and he is in our midst and he does special things as we give him the value, the worth, the worship that he deserves. And so, man, it has been good to talk about prayer in this season of prayer and fasting. So we're giving you application, we're giving you devotionals, we're meeting together and doing it. And let me just give you some recap of where we've been and sort of uh, just how we've looked at this prayer uh, subject of, of the power of prayer, that there is victory in prayer. You know, God answers our prayers. You speak to him and he actually hears, all of heaven obeys and he listens. And he answers according to his will. Sometimes not in our own timing, but he does answer. And sometimes with a no, but he does answer. And there's victory because the battle has been won by the Lord. And uh, last week's message from Nehemiah 1 was just the idea that we are to engage in this battle, engage in this relationship, this intimacy with God, and to pray, to simply talk and listen to God. And it's a beautiful privilege that we have. And sometimes we may take for granted, but I know many of you are gifted in that area. Others are not. It's a spiritual discipline, a means to get to God. And we talk to him in relationship and we receive from him. Not just to observe religion or observe God, but we get to interact with God through this thing we call prayer. And so we're digging deep. We're going over and over certain areas uh, to talk about different aspects of the power of prayer in our lives as we apply it in our weakness, in our real lives. Aren't you glad you could be with God in your real life or for who you really are? He already knows your heart. He even knows what's going on right now in your heart. And he wants to minister you through the word. And so tonight we're going to be in John chapter 4. And we'll uh, continue to go through this journey of power of prayer with tonight and next week as we continue to pray and fast and continue to apply these things to our lives. Uh, I want to read verses 27 through 35 together with you and ask God to minister to us through this Bible study and his word together. So what we'll do is we'll always read the word of God and we'll study it together and we'll pray. So John chapter 4 verse 27 through 35 is what we'll be covering tonight, our focus as we look at this different aspect of prayer. The text says, just then... His disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with me? Or talking with a woman? But no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar, her water jar, and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Then, uh, then they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, meanwhile, 
The disciples, the text says, were urging him, this is speaking of Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, well, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months when comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. We've prayed a lot. We prayed in the beginning of our service. We prayed for some of these songs. We had Pastor Robin pray for the message and for the Holy Spirit to speak through me. Tonight, what I want to do is I want to pray, and I want to invite you to pray. God hears your hearts and the depths of your heart. And so I'm going to give us 60 seconds, and let's take some silence and just ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you. God, as we've taken time to be silent before you in our service, we ask, Lord, that you would clutter all the things in our heart so we can be silent and still before you as we listen to your word. And as you speak, help us to hear. We ask this in your name, God. Amen. Amen. Well, Sunday afternoons. Have you ever felt tired? Be honest. Have you ever slept during one of my messages? I almost have. Come on. I, I don't know. I was just experiencing this recently. Uh, you know, being a parent is sometimes hard. Uh, it seems like you're always tired. Whether you have little babies that don't sleep, some of you are in that season, or maybe you have toddlers, elementary kids that are just running around constantly. So you're chasing after them and you get tired, or uh, maybe you're in that middle school age where you have to take them to school and you have to wake up early, or you're in the glorious teenage years. It's the best years, best time of my life, where <laughs> you're like, okay, well, I'm going to bed. Good luck, buddy. And they just stay up late. I recently experienced this because as they were on Christmas break, I realized, dang, Jeremiah is just going to bed later and later and later until... Who knows, man? I'm just tired. I think sometimes the best gift you can give to a parent is a nap at times. Amen? Sometimes, man, it's just, it just seems like we're tired. And I found myself realizing this because as I get tired, I get frustrated. I get upset. Uh, my family can testify this. When I put on my glasses, it's time to go to bed. And, um, and I think sometimes that's just a part of life and part of seasons. But there's this this line that connects us all in our humanity, we are weak, we do get tired. I think right now we have a special connection with the culture and the church, outside of the church, wherever you may be, I think we're a little tired emotionally. Because I'm starting to notice during this COVID season, COVID eternity, I don't know how to call it, all I'm hearing is I'm tired or I'm over it. Have you heard that before? I think people are, are starting to just be emotionally over it, even to their detriment, it doesn't matter. Because this season, this trial has brought so much burdens, and it's a trial like anything. The Bible says it brings out pain, it brings out suffering, it brings out what's really in it. So you start seeing racial issues come out, and economic issues, and social issues, and justice, and like uh, political issues. And I mean, well, I think people are just tired. They're just tired, and we can actually relate and identify in this. There's a beautiful thing about life because. It is so apparent that you get the glimpses of God's grace in your life if you pay attention. But it's also apparent of the brokenness of humanity and you get overwhelmed with the nightmare of sin. And you have to deal with this tension in life. 
We're always not tired, but there are times when there is tiredness, when it frustrates us, whether it be physically, whether it be emotionally. And there's also a spiritual restlessness, rest, restlessness in our lives. You know, Billy Graham, the great giant of the faith, uh, great evangelist, he said this. He said, God promises no easy life or days without troubles, trials, difficulties, and temptations. He never promises that life will be perfect, but he does not call his children to a playground, but a battleground. And you know what? We get physically tired. We get emotionally tired. But as Christians, we need to understand that there is another thing that can make us tired in this life, and there is a spiritual side to you. You're not just a physical being. There's a spiritual side. And we've talked about this when we talk about prayer, Ephesians chapter 6, where it says we're to remain strong in the Lord and fight this battle. It recognizes that there's something going on that causes us to be tired as well. Verse 12 says, For uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces and uh, evil in the heavenly places. There is a cosmic battle going on right now, and it affects us all, whether we realize it or even acknowledge it. You see, we have enemies of our soul. And the Bible commonly calls them the devil, the flesh, and the world. These enemies that make us tired as just if we were physical tired or emotionally tired. And the Bible warns us to be aware of these things and to live accordingly. That we have an enemy called Satan, the devil, and these demonic principalities and forces. They're present here on our earth and they're out to devour us and to destroy us. The father of lies deceives and devises plan for us to buy into and to rebel against God. For us to sin. Satan wants to destroy our lives as humans because all humanity reflects the glory of God, that there is a creator and we are creation. And it shows the beauty of God. And so the apostle Peter would tell us in, in his first epistle, chapter five, he would say, hey, be sober-minded then. You need to be aware. Be, be clear-minded, be sober-minded, be watchful for your adversary, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion because he is seeking someone to devour. So you need to resist him. You need to stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering is not just happening to you, but being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. So you can't escape it. I'm not talking about a Western society or, or a, a Christianity or, or a, a certain background, a class, it affects everyone because he's out to get everyone because we're all made in the beauty and image of God's glory. But the, str the struggle with Satan is, is, is so real. But it's not just all out there in these principalities out there. Many of you guys know this because you've struggled within here. What the Bible calls our flesh this inner man that has a bent nature of sin to rebel against God. And that sinners, we have this natural desire to just not trust God. It's, it's tiring, even as a Christian. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes about this, this struggle. In verse 17, he would say, man, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. There's something eternally happening in your soul. Even when you want a desire to do something, it rebels. Paul, the apostle in Romans chapter 7, he, he would struggle with this. He would say to God, I know what's right, but I don't do it. And the things I, I don't want to do, I end up doing it. And Paul now would write to scripture doctrine about this concept of the flesh and, and in the spirit. And he would continue to go on in that verse and say, the desires of the spirits are against the flesh. 
For these are opposed to each other and they keep you from doing the things you want to do. He goes on, chapter five gives you the identity of what these works are of the flesh and then he gives you the works of the spirit. And there is this night and day, literally and figuratively, contrast that we have choices to make and they could honor God and dishonor God. And we have experienced this sin because we live in a broken world and the struggle that we have, everyone else has, and when they sin, it affects not only them, it affects us. And so it's this perpetual cycle of man just wrestling with our enemy out there and our enemy within. And then we have this world. And what I mean by world is not the beautiful mountains and the beach and the the nature and these things that, that give glory to God, but the world is a value or a system. The things that they say is okay. The things that they say is, are okay. The culture, the world is the system of ideals, values, practices, or social norms that are integrated into our culture. In other words, the world is the normalization of our sinful behavior. That's okay. It's all good. But yet we see the fruit of that. 1 John chapter 2.16 says that the, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, thing we struggle with, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from God or not from the Father, but is from the world. And Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be in the world, right? We would live right now, but be not of the world. That we would be a different type of people, exiles, the Bible says. Peter would say in Second Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. There is a maturity in the faith that you need to come to that you will be tired physically, emotionally, and spiritually at times. And it's not just you and it's not just now. Not even just in the COVID season but it happens continually and other Christians and people know about it and God equips us for it. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, recognize and resist the three enemies that sabotage your peace. He says this about this cosmic fight and the enemies of the soul. He says the devil uses deceptive lies to play in our disordered desires of the flesh, that sin nature that are normalized in a sinful society called the world. The devil, the flesh, and the world. And these things make us tired. And this is the life that we are living in and our kids will live in and the next generation until the Lord comes back. And in the midst of these realities of spiritual warfare, emotional health, physical exhaustion, there's a beautiful invitation that Jesus gives to people, humanity, broken people like us, to find rest, to draw strength from him, to follow his ways and enjoy the strength that he gives. Most of you, if you're a believer, you would know this verse. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 20, 30. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke or my ways, culturally speaking, upon you and learn from me. 
For I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, his ways, he says, are easy, and his burden is light. There is a beautiful invitation of grace to find rest for our souls from Jesus, even in the midst of all the battle that we live and all of our enemies, spiritual, emotional, physical. If this is true, we can go to God for victory. He gives the invitation, but we must come. And this is why the Bible and Scripture over and over again, like Jeremiah 17, 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, who makes your ways his ways. And it's like over and over, reminder after reminder. And as we follow Jesus, we find strength and rest for our soul. And in this text we just read in John chapter 4, We see Jesus' ways are so much different than our ways. His standards sometimes are so different and fight so much against our flesh that we may not even consider them wise at times, but yet they free sinners like you and us, uh, you and me, to be blessed and to follow him. In John chapter 4, it's a beautiful story, and many of you probably know this. I didn't read the whole chapter, but I will sum it up because it's about this meeting with the woman at the well. Jacob's well. And the woman was at the well at the sixth hour, the text says. And this was sort of a state of the situation she was in. She was an outcast. So she didn't want to go to the normal hour at that time to be ridiculed and persecuted because she was living a life of promiscuity. Um, she didn't want to be around people because she, the Bible says that she had five husbands and was living with a man right now. Her sin brought shame. It brought condemnation, or in Hebrews 11, it says it brought pleasure for a moment. But now we're seeing, and we're jumping in the story, we're seeing a consequence of sin and giving in to that. You guys all know when you've been tired and been angry and you just give in, there are consequences for our actions. And so he's there now at the sixth hour because that sin is not only broken a relationship with God, but it's broken with other people. She doesn't even want to be around the community she's at, so she's getting some water In the midst of the afternoon, it's hot, uh, and yet in this sinful, broken state, we see Jesus arrive. Man, this is just who Jesus is, isn't he? He's always like showing up in the midst of sin, in the midst of brokenness, and meeting people right where they're at. And it reveals the heart of our Savior, of our Messiah. He's the one that could save us from our guilt, from our shame, from condemnation, and We look at a little bit of a text. If you look there in your Bible, chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, it gives us a little text. It's it's context. He said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become uh, in him a spring of water welling up to eternity. Now, if you know Jesus' teaching in John chapter 6, if you know this whole story, he's really talking about Uh, filling her with his presence and the living water, the Holy Spirit. He's saying there's something more. I know that you came here for a bottle of water, but I'm gonna give you something even better. I know that you only thought you were physical and you wanted just a good life. You don't even know how to attain it or get to it. I'm gonna give you something even better, a life with me. And as you study this passage, you see he's preaching the gospel, the good news to her. 
That's who our God is. He, he's a, he's a, a one that preaches good news, that he is an answer to our problem. He can forgive sin. He can nourish our souls, and he wants to do that. And so he's preaching this message that he can satisfy, that you can worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and you've done all these things to get here and get closer and try harder and do better. It's even bringing you this fruit. Don't you want something more? I'll give you something more. And he's trying to... to articulate this too, that he, he was going to die and he was going to rise for her sin, that he would give righteousness and his presence to her, the Holy Spirit. And it was just then that we picked up in verse 27, his disciples saw him. In verse 27, it says, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with the woman but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? They, you got to understand, they, it's clear in the text they did not understand what Jesus was doing. They didn't understand it. They were following him. He was a great leader. He was doing miracles. I mean, they saw some stuff, but they didn't always get Jesus. And so they're seeing this gospel preacher preach some good news to someone who needs it. And they still ain't connecting the dots. It's just, it's, it's crazy. But because in their culture, the Samaritans were exiles. There were people that they did not like. They were a mixed race from the Assyrian conquering the Gentiles, or the Jews. Um, these Gentiles conquered the, conquered the Jews, Israel. And you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 7. That's the origin of, of the Samaritans. The, the Syrians conquered the Israelites, and then they said, we want to take you away from God, so we're going to intermix with you, we're going to give you false gods, and we're not going to let you go to the temple. Make your own religion. You can have God, just not the living God. And so the Jews that actually stood for their faith and the living God got tortured, sacrificed, kicked out, exiled, persecuted, died, and so they didn't really like the Samaritans. And that just happened Generation after generation after generation until it was just a normal thing. That's how deceitful sin could be. That's how messed up our world system could be because we can have sin and it could just stack on stack on stack. And after time, you just start realizing like, oh, well, I'll never be free of that. Well, that's just what guys do. Or no, girls just, that's, we just talk like that. That's just what we do. It's just a normal thing. And Jesus is breaking cycles of sin and showing them something is better than what they thought was normal. And we need this. So the Jews despised the Assyrians. They hated their children and their children's children. And there was great tension between them. But yet our beautiful Savior, Jesus, steps into the midst of this world system and proactively pursues a relationship with this woman. And it should remind you of how he proactively starts a relationship with all of us. Because the Bible says in Romans 5, 8 that we were yet once enemies of Christ, but he died for us while we were still enemies, rebelling, still sinners. God showed his love for you and for me. This is just one of his ways, character of who he, who he is. God is beautiful. He has a character of love and he displays it so we can see it and then follow his ways. And so he's going to teach his disciples and us how the father sees things through the lens of love. And he even corrects these disciples in the story because we read from 27 to 35, but if you look at 35, he would tell them, do not say there are yet four months 
Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. He's saying, you're looking through a world lens, something that is so normal to you. But do not say that. Look up. The harvest is now. He would tell the woman, you want water, but you need living water. You want abundant fruit and crops and riches and to be a part of my kingdom, but you need to give all that up to be a part of my kingdom and have abundant fruit and riches. He's just trying to show us that he sees things different and he's going to teach things that are different that we find so normal. And the sad thing is our normal results, the things of the flesh, the Bible says, if you reap them, they'll produce corruption. Corruption, but the Things of the spirit, if you sow them, you'll reap things of life. So he's trying to give life to his disciples so they would understand his purpose. And you see, Jesus was guided to that place for a specific reason to this woman for this town to do ministry by God. Now, how do we know that? In John chapter four, the beginning of the story, it gives us some insight, some context of why Jesus is there. It says that he, speaking of Jesus, left Judah and departed again for Galilee, and he had come, uh, and he had to pass through Samaria. Samaria, so he came to the town of Samaria, called Sychar, near the field that Jacob was given to his son Joseph. The text says he had to pass through Samaria, but this was not on the way for most Jews. Most Jews wouldn't pass through Samaria. They would go, not the short version, but they would go all the way around and then go to Galilee. One commentator said this, although the road through Samaria was the shortest route from Jerusalem to Galilee, pious Jews would often avoid it. They did so because they were, uh, de- there was a deep distrust and dislike between many of the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And Jesus was definitely going against the grain right here. He was definitely going against the grain or the world standards, you can say, at the time. But we know this and we see this in John 8, 29. He said, I would always do my father's will. And many times he would go and pray, get the father's will, and then they would go and do something specifically. And this text makes it very clear. This is a specific strategic move. He's being guided by the spirit to do something that's against the grain. And now he's going to use this to teach his disciples and to teach us uh, something we need to learn. So in the beginning, they don't understand, and then he's teaching them something they need to understand. And Jesus goes to this region to obey the Father, to fulfill his mission, to rescue a sinner like this lady, and his ministry was effective. In verse 28 through 30, we see, and we read, so the woman left her water. She had a need, so much so, she went in the heat of the night against the people, and she went there to do it. And she says, after meeting Jesus, This isn't even important anymore. What I thought was so important, I'm leaving it. She left her jar of water, and then she went away into the town and said to the people, come, come with me. See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out to the town and were coming to him. As the woman had an interaction with Jesus, she saw things more clearly his preeminence, his importance. This is a man that, that is special, that takes preeminent of even my needs or my attitudes or things that I 
thought. And as this woman had this interaction with God, she was transformed. Isn't this the power of the gospel? The good news that when we have interactions with Jesus, he transforms us. He rearranges our heart and what we think is so normal, even though we're getting terrible results. We don't even have the power to change, but yet we meet Jesus and there's something that shifts in our heart. So much so that out of our heart, our mouth speaks. Now what is she doing? She's speaking to people and she's saying, come and look, see this thing. You need to come check this out. Check out this guy, this man. I think his ways are really good. He made me new. He knew some stuff about me that I I didn't even know about myself. In this text, we see Jesus' ways are sometimes counterintuitive to our ways as his even disciples. And we see Jesus find strength for ministry as he chose to trust God and do his will through this practice of fasting. Now, if you look at verse 31 through 33, what I want you to notice in this story is there's something Jesus was doing so that his ministry was effective. And it's something counterintuitive that we're practicing right now in this season. Jesus was fasting in this moment. He abstained from food in order to do the will of God as he's speaking to this woman. In verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, so she's having life change, transformation, bringing the whole city, this evangelist, and meanwhile, Jesus is having some more teaching with his disciples because they were urging him saying to him, Rabbi, eat. You need strength. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. I have a source of strength you you don't know about right now. I'm doing something that's giving me so much strength. So the disciples, they start looking around in verse 33, and they say to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? You see, because... Did you notice in the story that Jesus was alone with the woman at the well? In verse 6 and verse 8, they show us where he was and why he was there. It says that Jesus was weary from his journeys. He was tired. He was exhausted. You ever think about that? Your Savior, Jesus Christ, was weary and tired. He had a long journey, and so he was from his journey, and he was sitting beside the water, and it was about the sixth hour. And the woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Why? Because Jesus was tired, and he was hungry. And he was just trying to get some rest in this moment. But he was in tune with the Father. And rather than... Seeking that, he was seeking God's will for his life, and he was fasting. This word weary could also mean exhausted with toil or burdens or even grief. Obviously, there's a physical exhaustion that would be the journey, but can you just imagine for a moment God humbling himself, becoming a man, wanting to save so many people, and just the moment and the burden he would have for this woman. Oftentimes, we see in Scripture that When he would see pain, he would have compassion, be moved to the inner bowels, or he would walk into Jerusalem. Later we would see, and he would just start weeping. You know, he doesn't like when we experience the consequences of sin. He has a heart of love and compassion and cares for people. 
And yes, he was physically exhausted, but can you imagine the emotional exhaustion that he probably had with the patience he had to give to actually train the disciples even in this moment once again? Like, guys, are you not getting it? Peter would go after him. Everyone's looking for you, Lord. Everyone's looking for you, Lord. And he would say, sorry, God just told me to go there. They just just constantly did not get Jesus. And so now he's seeing this woman and her life's in shambles and he's having words of knowledge about her life and experiencing strengthening her, depending on God and his plan. And he's wrestling the enemies of the soul, like just like you and I. The devil was right after him, tempting him. He was constantly interacting with demonic spiritual beings, casting people out. There was constantly a temptation of the flesh. The Bible says he had to learn obedience but was without sin. So there was a restfulness of his soul that he had to go through and learn obedience and obey. He was perfect. And they're sure right now we see is a world system in his time where no one thought he should do some of the things, so much so that his family thought he was crazy at times because he was doing things that the father told him to do, but it wasn't what normal people thought he should do. This is important to highlight because there's a great temptation in our humanity, in our weakness, when we're exhausted and we're tired, to go after things that don't fully satisfy us. And Jesus shows us a better way. Jesus shows us that when we are tired, when we are exhausted, and we are weak, we can actually find rest in him. Just like this woman found rest in him even after she was tired, exhausted, and beaten down with life. It says she experienced shame. She had husbands, a past. She was living in sin. And the Bible says that you and I, when we don't go to God and we turn to other things for satisfaction, it's called idolatry. We give worth to other things. We find rest in our strength in other things. And there's a constant invitation from the Lord to say, come to me. In the Old Testament, God would speak to the prophets many times. Here's another invitation from God, Isaiah 55, verse one through three. Come, everyone. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come. Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which, you have, which is no bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, the Lord says, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. We could find rest for our souls. The Apostle Paul would testify of this truth in 2 Corinthians saying, my Grace, or God's grace is sufficient for us. That even in our brokenness, we can go to God, we can be satisfied. And there's something special when we depend on God and accept his grace and when we choose to seek his presence and will for our lives. And Jesus was doing that in this moment by fasting, by not eating. He was abstaining from food and yet, he found strength. Janice Franklin, who wrote a lot of books about fasting, he said, fasting is not a requirement. It is a choice. It is a vow you choose to make to pursue God on a deeper level. The entire time that you are on a fast, you are acknowledging God. When you 
feel hungry, empty, weak, you connect with God without all the clutter. And we see Jesus in this moment choose to fast and throughout his ministry to pray and seek God. You remember right as he got baptized in ministry, Matthew chapter 4, he would go out into the wilderness and fight some of those souls those enemies of our souls, would fight the devil. The devil would tempt him. And he gets God's word and he, and he, and he battles the enemy. What most people don't recognize or understand, I love Matthew's humor because in verse one of chapter four, it says that Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days and the text says, you can read it, and he was hungry. It's like, well, duh. I miss like a snack, an afternoon snack, and I'm hungry, right? It said the spirit led him into the wilderness and he fasted and prayed. He battled the devil. The angels came and ministered and brought food. It's great. But I think as Americans, we just always skip up. We like the battle part and the results of the battle. We just don't like the process. The man fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. It's like we love Nehemiah and talking about prayer. But in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, we talked about last week, it says that he prayed and he fasted. He prayed and he fasted. He, Jesus was always going out in solitude places and seeking God and delighting in him and trying to fulfill the purpose of his king, of his Lord. Jesus not only practiced fasting to fight the enemy like the devil, but his flesh, even his own desires and the world system. And he taught his disciples like you and me to practice this as well. Remember the great Sermon on the Mount, full of rich text of the kingdom of God and his ways. In John chapter, or Matthew chapter six, it says, and when you fast, but when you fast. And then he ends that section saying, the Lord will reward you. When you fast or as you fast, and here again, in this moment, he's teaching his disciples a principle of why he was effective and he had something that they didn't see. In verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That was his food, his nourishment, his strength. A greater resource was his spiritual being and to be walking with God than to rely on something so necessitate, uh, so uh, necessary for us to even survive, it was better for us to follow God than actually the strength of food gives. Jesus didn't let his physical being rule himself, and in this moment, he chose to fast for strength. He's teaching us the power of fasting and seeking God over our emotion, over being tired, and even being weary Jesus is acknowledging that there's something greater that can actually satisfy. And we're not just physical beings. We're also spiritual beings. And his invitation is for us. Now, for clarity, let me sort of make sure we understand what fasting is before we apply it and close. This truth in our lives, because I think simple definitions are helpful for us for clarity, um, to understand this principle of fasting. Last week, for me anyway, a running definition of prayer is talking and listening to God. When I specifically am talking about fasting, I'm talking about abstaining from food to seek God's presence and his will for your life. You want to seek God, the person, creator of all being, everything, 
and his will. And so you are not eating food and you are seeking him. If prayer is talking and listening to God, then fasting you can sort of define or think about is making time to do that. Because when we pray, we ask that God's will would be done in our lives. And so we're, we're taking that time to fast and to pray. As we fast, we're deliberately denying our flesh to build strength in our spiritual man through spending time with God. And this is why prayer and fasting oftentimes go hand in hand. Because fasting is like fuel to the fire of prayer. Fasting is like fuel to the fire of prayer. It stokes our prayers and causes them to burn with more intense passion and more consistency. The hunger pains serve as a physical reminder of our spiritual need and dependence on God. Whether we are bending our knees or not, we're in a state of how we always constantly commune with God in prayer. We're in a state when we fast of constantly just saying, I'm choosing you, I'm choosing you. Right now, I'm choosing you. I'm hungry, I'm choosing you again. And so you should be praying and depending on God more when you fast and be made more aware of your weakness. And this is what fasting does, and this is why they're linked together. Now, you can pray without fasting, but it's really hard to fast without praying. I have a good friend that often says that if you're just fasting without praying, you're just starving yourself. And we need to define that because right now in our culture, if you look up fasting even on YouTube, as I did, all you do is get a whole bunch of videos about the benefits of fasting in your physical body. But the reality is what we're doing is a spiritual thing. And we're abstaining from food. Many people, I'm fasting from social media. I'm fasting from, you know, no, you're abstaining from that then. A biblical fast is saying a partial or full fast that you're saying I'm not going to feed physically my flesh and I'm going to spend that time to feed my spirit and be with God in his presence and seek his will. And I could do that through, man, just being silent in solitude. I could do that through prayer. I could do that through reading the word, going to worship nights and having fellowship. But I'm gonna take that time to recognize that God is my strength, that he is my source and my portion. Like 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the cord of the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And fasting is a spiritual weapon in the way that we as believers fight in this battle. So the whole point of fasting is not only to seek God's presence, but his will and to obey him, to worship him, like any spiritual discipline. As we worship God, God pours out his grace and we get to meet with the living God. And so prayer and fasting are powerful because these spiritual disciplines help us follow God's ways in a very practical way. They give strength to our soul to fight against the devil, our flesh, and the world, the things that make us weary. And we see Jesus doing it right here in this text. Now, as we continue this season of prayer and fasting, United 21 Days, man, this is a chance where we proactively pursue God through this spiritual discipline. And if I could be honest with you, and I think most of you would agree, fasting is hard. Can I get amen? Okay, well, I'm just more of a food lover than you. I get a double amen for that. I really like food. It's amazing. You know, I'm the type of person that even plans my experiences or trips around food. 
It's, it's like sort of like a center of my life. Like I think about dinner. I think about lunch. I think about coffee in the morning. I think like these things, they make a difference for me. And so it, it reorients my whole life. And I love that we as a community get to do this because I need something like this. I need the positive peer pressure to say we're doing this together. Jensen Franklin said the secret of tapping into the supernatural is for you to have the courage to do the natural first. I need people to push me to just say, man, just live out your faith. Do it. I'm doing it. And I need those testimony stories and and people, prayers answered and just seeking God together. Because God has answered my prayers so many times, it's so crazy to see that. But in my flesh, I constantly forget and I don't want to go and do what God told me to do. So much so not even to fast and pray, just to seek him about a situation. It's just, I'll go to so many other things. But if I want to engage in prayer and if I want to really fight in the spiritual warfare in this aspect, I'm going to have to make a choice to trust God and saying, I don't even understand it at times, but I'm going to do it because I trust you do it. I trust that you've called us to it. I trust that your ways are good and you invite me to have spiritual strength, but it's through this means that I don't like called fasting. Just like how last week we talked about, it's through this means of trials that actually leads us to prayer and brings strength. So God allows some stuff to happen in our lives so we can have intimacy with him. And but rather than reacting to things, God invites us to proactively find rest in him, and to proactively fast and pursue him in this way. And so this text today, Jesus is saying you can find strength by fasting, by following me in this way. Donald Whitney, in his book of spiritual disciplines, he says, this much we do know. Jesus prayed. Luke 5.16 tells us, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If Jesus needed to pray, How much more do we need to pray? Prayer is expected because we need it. We will not be like Jesus without it. I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk in his ways. In order for us to do that, we need to seek him. Spurgeon said that prayer links us to heaven, but fasting separates us from the earth. Sometimes we need to separate, we need to go to a solid place and rather than finding all our hope and comfort and even things like food or physical things, we need to have an interaction with Jesus. This woman had an interaction with Jesus. She left what was so important to her and made an impact in the community. And so many people are trying to have a strength to make an impact in their family, their community, but they're not getting to Jesus and interacting with him. And he gives us an invitation. Fast. Take time. Be with me. And so my prayer as your pastor is that you choose to go to God in this fast. In this community fast, but then you would practice this beautiful discipline of just humbling yourself before the Lord. It's a very humbling thing to know and to recognize you are a dependent person. We even forget that. As human beings, we think we, can, we have to have it all together. And Jesus is like, no, 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 my grace is sufficient. Even just test me. Just don't even feed yourself to seek me and you'll have a, a source of strength. Jesus said, my, my food is to do the will of the Father. You can have a source of strength, a substance, a nourishment for who you truly are. 
that will wage war against your soul, but as you engage in it, the holy living God will meet you in an amazing way. So maybe you need to fast because of a reaction. Something's going on in your life. There's something specific right now. Fast. Take time to pray to God. Or maybe you just need to be proactive. You just want more of Jesus, his perspective to get clarity, to see how Jesus sees the world. Fast. Pray. The question I have for you in the application for us is, how can we fast in our lives today? What does it look like for you? Is it a week? No food? Is it a day? Is it a lunch? Is it an hour? A nighttime meal? What does that look like for you? Because I know that you've been exhausted. I know that you're fighting in this battle. Don't give up. Enjoy the invitation that Jesus has. He's given us this beautiful gift of himself. We'll close with this verse, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 through 31. This is, again, God speaking through a prophet to People like you and me that are broken, messed up, sinners, weak. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the youth still faint and be weary, and the young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Jesus, we thank you for that beautiful invitation. We pray, God, as we have studied this and are applying this in our church, that we would come to you again. And that's what we want to do right now to close our service. Lord, we are so weak and broken. I know many of us are physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, and even spiritually exhausted. And you say when we gather together as your people that we could be renewed and we could be strengthened to remember that you are God and we are not, that you are enough. And so we want to run to you and we want to take communion in response and we want to bless your name. We want to thank you, God, that you are going to come back and rule and reign and there will be no more sin, no more shame, that you have the victory. But right now, Lord, we need a battle. We need to be filled with your spirit. We need your grace and your mercy. We need this good news that we cannot do it. It's not a try harder, do better religion. We're talking about a living relationship with God and we're coming to partake in this good news that you died for us, that you rose again, that we could find strength in you. Help us to seek your face through many spiritual disciplines. But for this moment and this message, Lord, Holy Spirit, show us how to fast. Show us how to wrestle in our flesh against the things that may be so counterintuitive to us. And so we partake in this beautiful sacrament, Lord, of communion, realizing by faith and trusting that you, your blood was shed for us, 
that you love us and care about us and you want to meet us and you made a way that we could know you and be filled with you and grow with you, Lord. And you give the invitation over and over and over again for your word of God says that you died for all humanity, that you love so much, Father, you sent your son and you will come back again. But it is those that believe in your name that have you given a right to become children of God. And so we want to come and identify with our weakness that we are not God, we are not in control, we are not Father. Father, we are your children and we need you and we need your grace. Be alive in our lives. Have the resurrection power fill us. Fill us with your strength. Lord, let us do your work until you come back and change and transform our hearts so our community, our family, our lives will be changed for your glory. And so we celebrate this. We run to you and we declare that you are good. We will not go to idols. We will go to you, the living King transform us. We love you. We praise you and we bless you in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.